Welcome to the Jim Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And I'm Tony Marinucci, a.k.a. Tips with Tony, your registered dietitian. And we are the Jim Wits. All right, so I'm going to take you back to when Justin and I were just maybe around 14-ish, 13, 14-ish, playing Ken Griffey Jr. Major League Baseball for the Super Nintendo. And um, we were in the middle of an epic series. Um, Justin was up 4-0 on a seven-game series. I'm sorry, 4-0. Justin was up 3-0 in a seven-game series. (laughs) And I storm back and force a game seven. So it's game seven, back and forth. We get to the ninth inning, and I'm up by a run. We're going into the bottom of the ninth. Justin's last chance to win, and he he unplugs (laughs) the Super Nintendo. And we never know who would win this epic series that took hours to play. Um, Why am I telling that story? I don't know. It just popped in my head after our conversation about kind of competitiveness and cheating. (laughs) And that thing popped into my head that we had this amazing seven-game series that Justin didn't, didn't let us see through. Do you remember that? Yeah. Absolutely. I remember it like it was... (laughs) Three days ago. <laughs> Not yesterday. Three days ago. <laughs> yeah, it, no, that was, it was a fun series. But as I recall, I think Ryan had initially used that tactic <laughs> at, at another game when I was beating him. You, so, know what, you know what it was? You remember the, the game? It was a baseball game, but you, there were like robots? Yes. I think it was that game that I used was that it? tactic on you. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. Hmm. Well, anyway, uh, I learned it from Ryan, and yeah. I didn't want to lose, especially after going up three games to nothing. But see, the best up part was that when I used it, it was like benign, like it was one game, <laughs> and I was probably mad at you for something. I think, in fact, maybe it was like Twisted Metal or something. It was some game uh, where we were playing, and I just, out of annoyance, did it, but it was relatively benign. But like, you took, you took that from me. <laughs> I mean, like, I came back. <laughs> eye for an eye, man. Fair enough. All right, anyway, um, all to get to our subject today, um, we have a great interview uh, for you guys, really dealing with um, sports, youth sports mostly, but youth sports, athletics, um, competitiveness, um, deal, you know, parents dealing with kids that are in sports. It's a really interesting conversation we had with Craig Smith. And without further ado, here's our interview. Hey, everyone. We are here with Craig Smith. How's it going, Craig? It's going great, guys. How are y'all? Very, very well. Um, Craig is the president of the Academy of Sports and Character and the VP of Marketing for Strata Leadership. So, Craig, where are you located? Our home office is in Oklahoma City. Nice. And, And do you live out there as well? Well, I'm in the process of moving here, um, as we speak, um, I've been going back and forth for about six months from uh, Arkansas to here. Nice, nice. So you're down in Arkansas. How's the uh, how's the weather down there? Well, it's already uh, went from winter to summer. Yep. No we spring. don't get the springtime like you do up north. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, spring's my favorite season. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, there's so six much hours. <laughs> All right. So uh, as we always ask our guests. Uh, Craig, tell us about your sports and or fitness background. Did you grow? Did you play sports growing up? Did you get into fitness later? What's your story? Well, I, I grew up playing sports. Uh, loved all sports. 
I grew up in the Memphis, Tennessee area uh, where basketball was king and uh, played until I got to the age where I realized that I was 5'10 and not a great shooter. Um, so mm-hmm. I switched over and played, uh, baseball and soccer competitively and soccer all the way through college. Wow. Um, but, uh, I've always loved all sports, played tennis a lot when I was young and now it's kind of transitioned to being a coach. I've coached, uh, competitive baseball teams the last several years, taking, uh, three different age groups in the last three years to the Dixie youth world series and as a baseball coach. And then the rest of my time is just spent with golf and uh playing with the kids nice now we'll certainly get into the fitness of youth sports and the way that children are training kids are training now i'm just curious when you were coming up what was the uh like the fitness protocol or um, regimen for athletes that were training on the college (laughs) level do you do you you know if it's different are they training differently today from uh as as they did when you were coming up it's radically different. Yep. It's, it's, uh, you know, we thought that if we had a salad each day, we were doing a good job yeah. of us, you know, besides our pizza, mm-hmm. pizza and hot dogs. Um, <laughs> but, uh, we, the, especially in the field of nutrition, that is so night and day from today than what it, it was back then. Also, if you, I mean, just weight training and, and conditioning, um, we would run and we would uh, lift weights, but the programs and the thought and the science behind it was not, it was just being developed then. Nice. So can you tell us a little bit about um, kind of your own background in youth sports, like how you got into it and um, kind of what, where that kind of, where you developed your kind of passion for that? Well, I, I have four boys and my oldest son, when he was six, I, I looked forward to him playing ball and doing different things because uh, sports have been a big part of my life. And uh, when he was six years old, we put him on a uh, a little youth baseball team thinking this will be fun. And new, we moved to a new town, so this would be a good way to meet people. And uh, very quickly we realized that uh, it wasn't quite the, the small town happiness we thought it was going to be uh, when the coach was throwing things and uh, cursing at the kids. So uh, – about uh, three weeks into the season, a couple other parents and I went to the coach and tried to politely ask him to say, hey, uh, this just isn't working. Um, you know, I don't think that this is what the kids need to be learning. They're only six years old. And uh, he, instead of changing his act, he quit. And so my coaching career began. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. So you, you, you sort of – saw the hole and you jumped into it and you, you figured you needed to you know you needed to sort of fill fill that gap and is that when you started the academy of sports and character or was that a later development no no the that was a much later development okay. I, and i didn't start the academy of sports and character oh, okay. i am just the uh, new president of it oh, okay. uh, um but uh it was born out of the same type of thought that the the biggest thing that most parents need to learn, uh, the, the best word that they need to learn in youth sports is perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, people, every parent thinks that their kid's going pro 
Um, even if they have never been in shape or are not an athlete and have not been around that type of thing, it doesn't matter if they're from a small town in Arkansas or live in a big city in uh, or live in you know someplace like Chicago. They, um, every parent has these dreams for their kids, and it's so funny how they put these unrealistic expectations on a child from six to twelve years old, expecting them not only to be perfect at a sport they're not playing 24 seven as a job as they do in the pros, but, uh, it's just, uh, uh, this, this idea that, uh, this misguided idea that, that my kid's going to be great and everybody else should take notice of it. Mm-hmm. How do you identify mm-hmm. the person that's kind of the standout kid or can you tell at that young of an age if they're going to develop into a pro? <laughs> um, I'll say it this way. I've been around several elite athletes. I saw, I played against Anthony Hardaway, um, who uh, now is the coach of the Memphis Tigers. Uh, when he was in the eighth grade, he was already 6'3 and could jump over anyone. And you could tell that this this kid is special. Mm-hmm. Um, kids who are in elementary school, I've seen so many times the one that's the fastest, even the tallest or the strongest they may be the best at 10, but nine times out of 10, they're not the best at 18 for, yeah. for a number of reasons. So when people say, oh, my kid is so great, I always take a deep breath and, and I, I look around <laughs> and, and realize you have no idea what they're going to be yet. Mm-hmm. Now, once they start developing and maturing, going through puberty, you can tell who's got great genetics, who's got amazing um you know, abilities that jump higher and run faster, um, especially athletically. But in some sports, you, you don't know. In baseball, where there's a lot of work involved, um, tennis, where kids have been started when they were, you know, three or four years old um, and have done nothing but that. They, they may not be the greatest athlete, but they may be the best tennis player. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I always tell people, uh, you know, make sure you're saving for their college. Yeah, I guess what I I think about Michael Jordan. Like as you were talking, I'm thinking about it, like how Michael Jordan didn't make, you know, his I think it was his middle school basketball team, and then he like what he developed into. So it's true. I guess you don't know. I guess that's where your coaching really plays a key key role. Scottie Pippen didn't uh, didn't even get to play his freshman year in college, and then grew six inches after he was in college. Wow. And uh, and went to a small. Division two school in Arkansas, and was never you know the standout until he was uh, a senior in, in college. So so before you you brought up um, kind of dealing with parents and um, and I guess overbearing parents I can imagine are are problematic for a coach for a number of reasons. So how do you deal with with a parent who thinks their kid is is the best on the team or needs more at bats or more minutes or more time? You know, how do you manage the, their own expectations and ideas on, on where their where their kid is and where they should be, you know, without kind of insulting them <laughs> or the kid? That's a great question. I I've, I've learned over the years of coaching. I've been coaching for now 20 years in different sports. Um, but I've, one thing that I've learned is that if a coach sets the expectations early, sets the standards early for this is how we're going to conduct this team, and you treat every kid the same, 
whether they're the best or the worst or your son or daughter as the coach, if you treat everyone the same and give them the same amount of instruction, and, and that doesn't mean they're going to achieve the same, but they get the same uh, the same time, the same instruction, then a lot of that infighting and parent, uh, parent struggle um, goes away. However... And, and that's more for like the, the league level. As you get to 10, 12, 15 years old, as you move up and you play more elite sports, travel baseball, the AAU basketball, um, those types of sports, it becomes such a selfish uh, game because every parent wants their kid to be noticed. Every student then learns, I've got to get my, my point. My at bats, my, my my feeling, and uh, my my uh, my time, and so it becomes harder and harder because of the money and the prestige. Uh, it, whether that's a college scholarship they're looking for, or to become pro. So, at what age? So obviously, there as as the kids age, um, there's a clear difference between the elite, the maybe the mid, middle of the road, and then the ones that just aren't very good. It, what is the age that you start to, as a coach, um, kind of start separating them and, and giving the better players more time, and maybe kind of sitting the lesser players longer? Like, is there an age where you think it's appropriate? Um, to really start to make that, you know, kind of delineation between um, the, the athletes and kind of levels that they're at. That's also a good question, and uh, you will you could interview three or four more guys and you probably get a different answer than what you'll get here, and you get a different answer from each one. Um, however, I have never been one that believes in uh, giving someone a ribbon or a trophy for showing up or participation. And, um, I believe wholeheartedly in teaching character and teaching to do it right. But one of the attributes of character that every person needs to learn is to understand what competition is, to understand that, that life is not fair. And in order to play, in order to get that to bat third, in order to, to start on the, the basketball court uh, to make the team, you may have to put in the effort. You may have to do work harder than other people. And, and for some people, it's easier than others. And uh, those are life lessons that have to be learned. Um, so even at young ages, I think that you can learn that. There are, however, leagues that are more recreational leagues where they share the time and, and no one gets preferential treatment. And I think those are fine for development and for, uh, for especially for kids who are just looking to have fun and play. And I think those are great things. Um However, if, if your parent signs you up for a, uh, a competitive league, an advanced league, then, then <laughs> there's no guarantees. And I think if those are, uh, those are outlined up front, then everybody knows what the rules are. And, and then you have to go by what the coach says um, as to who plays and who doesn't. Um, I know in New Jersey, there was a big controversy just in the last three weeks because uh, there was a cheerleading tryout in high school and a girl didn't make the team, and so her mother uh, went to the school board, and so they decided to let any girl that tries out for the cheerleading squad is going to get to make it. And uh, I just wonder what that's teaching young ladies or anyone. Well, if I don't get that job one day, if my mom goes and talks to the boss, maybe I'll get the job. Or 
Uh, what, what is it? Whatever that we're, we're actually teaching because sports can teach so many wonderful lessons, and that's not one of them. Yeah, that teaches the the lesson that if you know someone who's has some, in some sort of position of, of power or authority, right, you can get what you want, right, which is a really poor, bad <laughs> lesson. Basically, showing favoritism to that people is. that have more means or more um, clout than say other people. But I guess that's a part of life too. So it's strangely not a great lesson, but I guess that's a, a reality as well. So I, I read an interesting book and I, I don't know if, if you've read it, Craig, recently, and I think you would very much so enjoy it if you haven't. It was the memoir book written by Keith Hernandez, where he talks uh, basically about his development from when he was a very young kid up until he started doing well in the major leagues with the Cardinals and then eventually being traded to the Mets afterwards. And uh, he talks a lot about his father who was a, a professional, not a major league baseball player, but did play professional baseball. And his father, right. from, from basically the age of four years old, was doing things, setting up little contraptions for him to practice his swing, having him throw um, at a, a different targets to work his arm, and doing these types of things, always building something, creating something, you know, really pushing him. Now, I, I, now he never mentioned that his his um, his father was a um, uh, you know the typical parent that would lobby for his son to play more or to argue with the coach. That wasn't his thing. He would just sort of let it. Sometimes he was the coach, I guess, but he would sort of let that happen. But in terms of his person, you know, his relationship with his son, he was always pushing him and forcing him to do stuff. And I guess Keith loved it, so it worked out. But do you encourage parents to be that forceful with their kids, or is it maybe a, a everyone's a little bit different? If the kid can handle it, then it's all right. Do some, and perhaps do some. Uh, young athletes have an adverse reaction and want to quit the sport because too many people or their parents or their coaches are putting so much pressure on them? The answer is yes to all of those things because I've seen them all. I, I've, um, and I have four, four boys. And one of the greatest things that, uh, that happened to me as a coach, my oldest son was never going to be an all-star, but he loved to play. Yeah, And so – when we played, it had to be for fun. It couldn't be, you know, it wasn't a competition. If we were just throwing in the yard, it's just let's make it a game. If I tried to coach him too much, he would resist. But he liked to play. Um, my third son, I can set those set up the tee. I can take him to the field. I can push him. I can coach him. I can talk to him about what he's doing right and wrong. And he and he'll and he feeds off of it. Um, every kid is different. I, I remember watching. These great parents, these people that I would have thought and I still think are wonderful people, and they had a son, and they were both very athletic, and their oldest son wasn't. And at some, at like seven or eight years old, he was scared of the baseball. And I remember going past the batting cage at the fields one time, and this poor kid is cowering in the corner of the batting cage, crying while his parents are screaming at him to just get in there. It's not going to hurt very bad, you know. And <laughs> and I so I've seen. Um, parents from uh, one end of the spectrum to the other uh, and, and and have found 
that it doesn't matter how great your your child is or even their attitude or their personality if the parent has the proper perspective and and pushes them the proper amount that the kid will allow if the parent allows them to be coached by a coach a good coach um, even that teaches the, the child something um, they they want to they want to know where the boundaries are where the rules are every kid wants a parent to be their parent um, like I said some let you coach them more and harder than others. Um, I did see, uh, I saw a documentary about Keith Hernandez. I've not read the book, but he grew up in a very you know poor area of, of uh, Miami at the time that was, uh, that he was talking about what that, what that looked like and playing with the bigger kids in the neighborhood and, and how that impacted him. Uh, um, sometimes the student, the, the, the player, boy, girl, whatever, they will, they'll let you know how far that uh, they'll let you push them, and if a parent is attuned to that, actually listening and trying to pay attention, um, not just out for their own their own ego, they'll know. Hmm. I guess what um, what are the qualities that make a good parent of an athlete? So I'm sure we have plenty of listeners that are parents and that kids are either in youth sports or getting into youth sports. So what advice, like what would you say makes a good parent? Um, and I'm going to give you kind of two directions. One is a good parent in relation in relation to the coach of the team and how you should interact with the coach and with the team. And then also just a good parent of the athlete. Like what are the qualities that you really w- would want to say? These are things you should strive for as a parent of an athlete, regardless of, of their you know ability and skill level. <laughs> well, I think just parenting in general is hard, and I'm, I'm not here to tell anybody how to be a parent. Like I said, I've got four boys, and I feel like they're good kids, but they uh, I learn, learn stuff all the time, um, things that I do wrong. I think one of the biggest things that every parent, whether their kid's an all-star or not, could learn is, is humility. Um, it's so funny how... It seems like a lot of people, their their image of themselves or how even they think other people think of them is tied to their student's performance, to their son or daughter's performance on the ball field. If they if they scored a bunch of points, then they can feel good, good about themselves as a parent. And if they sat the bench, then for somehow they're less than. And that's just not true. Um, humility is, is a huge one. I think another is respect. Um, respecting... The coach, respecting the umpire, respecting the other team, uh, respecting the game, teaching that way to play is 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 important. How you play the game, um, no matter what it is, um, that teaches a lot. Um, I think those two are huge. Um, I think the 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 third one thing that I would say would be um, just an attitude of gratefulness. If you, it, I think that uh, it goes through all of life, but if you're grateful for, for what you've been given, for the opportunity to even play, if you're grateful to, uh, to be on the team for your, for your kid to have that uh, opportunity, then you don't seem to get as, uh, as upset when things don't go your way. Hmm. I guess in, in speaking of that, to, relating to that, losing. Now, no one likes to lose. <laughs> But it's a part of life. And I know that sometimes they try to mitigate losing in whichever way Ryan might disagree. We'll get into the whole coddling concept a little later. 
but is there, is there an appropriate age for a kid to start experiencing losing, right? Is, um, should there be ties or not really recognizing a winner at some age and then at some point say, okay, now let's really state who our winners are? Or just the second you start playing, oh, someone wins and someone loses. Well, in, in, in all aspects of life, there's a winner and there's a loser. Two people will go for a job, and one's going to get it, one won't. Um, in sports, the nature of the game is to play to win. It doesn't matter if it's checkers or football. Um, and I think that attitude of giving your best and then measuring yourself against other people is is a great quality that some people don't like, so they refuse to play. But that's up to them. Uh, but if you decide to play in sports, like I said, I have four boys. My youngest is 10, and he's a decent athlete. But, the, but my son right above him is 13. He's, he's three and a half years older, and he's a really good athlete. And so my 10-year-old, since he, was, since he, he could play anything and walk, has competed with his older brother. And his older brother won't let him win at anything. Wouldn't let him win. So whenever, whenever he beats him at horse or a game of one-on-one in the backyard, or even if it's checkers or some video game, that 10-year-old feels a sense of satisfaction and achievement that he's done something. It's not hollow. It's not empty. Um, I've never let my, my boys beat me at anything, Whether and we play like chess and uh, other games like that. I don't let them win. When my 19-year-old is really smart, he was beating me at chess at age 10. And it, but but I didn't let him win, but he feels like he could do that, and uh, I think that's something that that is is missing in our participatory award culture. That uh, where where is the value of of giving your all for something and achieving it, and then seeing wow, look what I did, or I didn't quite achieve it. What do I need to do? To work harder, to, to to do better, to do more, so that I can earn this award, so that I can win the game, so that I can get the scholarship. Yeah, I also see there's a lot of there's theories about how if there's with two siblings, you know, the younger sibling usually is the one that becomes the athlete or becomes the famous dancer or whatever because they have someone they they may their elder brother, sister, sibling was in that sport and they then had someone to look up to, to strive for, to practice, you know, kind of the first child kind of makes the mistakes, the behaviors, and you learn from that. Do you find that too? Do you see that? Well, sometimes. Um, it, I guess it just depends. I've seen some firstborn kids that were that had that type A, so driven um, that uh, – you know, they wouldn't let anything stop them. I've seen some younger siblings that were babied enough that they thought I, it comes easy to me. And by the time it got hard, they did. Um, so sometimes I've seen that. I mean, I've seen that happen. And sometimes I, I don't. Um, I think there is something to being uh, having a big family and, and, and realizing you got to fight for everything you get. But uh, I, I know some some that are, you know, only children or or. Um, people that, that, that also achieve. So I don't know, I don't know how I, I would think about, about all that. So, um, in, I, I think even in, despite the maybe culture around, 
kind of bringing kids up to to not experience loss, which I think you know, Justin and I argue all the time because I think it might be a little overblown, like the prevalence of it. Like I don't think it's a good thing, um, but I don't think it's as prevalent. But regardless of that, I think as you get to the higher levels, you definitely see that there's a, a kind of win at all costs. Um, mentality amongst athletes and especially with the endorsements and the money and the fame and all that that kind of comes with it um you know the clearly to get an edge people will do can and will do anything as much you know and cheat if possible so how do you address that with with um, athletes that you have growing up you know how do you identify it how do you address cheating how do you get them to kind of stay on the straight and narrow when like hey if i you know all i got to do is you know x y and z and that's going to give me that small competitive advantage which you know that might lead to a scholarship and or it might lead to you know a pro contract so how do you address that and kind of keep them um morally kind of uh on the right track what you know as athletes and as competitors well, I think there's there's <laughs> there's a whole lot you just said right there, and in the uh, the book I'm writing, I talk about learning to lose and um, the, the the values that that come with learning to lose and what that really means. Uh, but um, with what this goes directly to what I'm doing now at the Academy of Sports and Character is the sports can teach character, not just reveal it, but it can teach it. And the, the character qualities of integrity and, and responsibility and, and you know, self-control, just the different qualities that you can learn when you play the game the right way, when you do the things the right way, when you, you can go to bed at night knowing you did it right. Now, when you do get up to higher levels where they think, oh, I could get the big contract if I, I – you know, if I cheat in some way, whether that, you know, the steroids or the uh, manipulating the rules, things like that. I mean, that has to be when you say somebody's morals, um, the problem is not everybody has the same morals anymore. Not everybody plays by the same rules morally. However, when it comes to character and uh, respect for the game itself and for others and for yourself, uh, that's the kind of integrity that we teach kids. Is that you're not you're you're cheating yourself. You're not cheating everybody else. You're cheating yourself, um, and and that's when so that when a ten year old does beat his thirteen year old brother, he had to earn it. When a when a kid earns that scholarship and he didn't cheat and he knew that it was had to be hard and he put the work in, he earned it. And uh, that that's something you you have to teach. And I think you I believe you can teach and you should teach students through through sports. So I agree with you 100% on that, but the reality is um, I think integrity is some, such like a, a vague kind of philosophical idea where like a win or a loss or you know a hundred million dollar contract or you know a scholarship those are real almost tangible things um, and outcomes that are sure. that are uh, you know that are things that people work really, really hard for and, and they're willing to skirt the rules. And I think there are plenty of, um, there are interesting studies about that kind of athletes and competitiveness and the idea that they don't feel, you know, most athletes don't feel guilt for cheating. It's only if they, you know, get caught. So how are you able to separate, like, how are you able to, to convince somebody that integrity really is, is, is valuable in and of itself? Because at the end of the day, I think for, for many people, they'd rather win and, you know, cheat a little bit 
than than lose with integrity or you know and so so yeah what's the, the for you how do you teach integrity as a real tangible thing and something that people can strive for and feel good about um versus the you know yeah just doing that little bit of extra that may not be quite moral to to get ahead well i think that's um it's not just in the sports world that's in the business world i mean that's in every world there is sure. um cheating um, and your marriages. I mean, good grief. We could go um, through every type of uh, relationship or, or, or the thing there is. But um, when you, you know, specifically with sports, um, I can't make someone believe that having integrity and doing things the right way is the best way or the only way. I think they experience that. that. Um, that's why when I talk about learning how to lose – um, when I talked about this on a, on a Sharky's Artman show a couple weeks ago, just, she was kind of laughing about learning to lose. Um, it doesn't sound like something I want to learn and it's nobody wants to learn it, but the ability to lose, to take a loss, to, to lose a scholarship, to lose a game, to lose a championship and learn from that, let it hurt. You, let it eat at you, but but learn from it. What can we gain? Because in every one of ours, our lives, failure teaches so much more than success. Uh, it's it's those times in each one of our lives that we've seen where failure is, is that. I mean, even Yoda says the you know the best teacher failure is you know. But that that's what um, that's what really teaches us when when we can can accept losing. That doesn't mean we like it. But we can accept that because losing is part of a game just like winning is. Losing um, is, is something that we have to, to, to deal with. And it, if you don't like to lose or you can't, can't lose, then you shouldn't play. Um, but uh, go ahead. So, uh, yeah, it, it actually reminds me of a, of a very famous athlete who had an amazing success. And then after her first loss, because she was never able to recover – most likely based on the fact that she couldn't lose. I'm talking about Ronda Rousey, who was the great um, yeah. uh, UFC, the uh, women's champion for so long and so dominant. And then she lost like everyone loses. And uh, she could just never, never recover from that. While you see other, uh, other, other, other um, athletes, often her, 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 one of her biggest rivals, Misha Tate, lost quite a bit, but she was able to deal with it. She had that integrity, and she kept up, and she kept with it, and then eventually she became a champion as well. So it just made me think of that I tell uh, you, right away when you say that. Well, the, the, the word that comes to my mind is also uh, one, the, the title of my, the book I'm writing. It's called Next, and um, the word next, I used to make my baseball players say it to me. Baseball is such a game of failure. You'll make errors. You'll strike out. You'll takes all the time. The best hitters hit three out of ten. Um, and so when a kid would, would would strike out, and they they're mad at themselves. Their mother in the stands is yelling at them. You know, and they, they they'll have tears in their eyes, or they'll be just anger. And I'll make them look at me and say the word next. Say it. You know, say the word next. Get that out of the way. Learn from it. What'd you do wrong? What can you fix? And now leave it alone. Put it in the past and move on to the next phase of your life, the next play, the next at bat, the next up and down the court in basketball, whatever it is. If you don't learn to lose, to deal with your failure, learn 
turn from it and then move on, you're condemned to live in that feeling of either anger, pain, sadness, and that's going to then impact your next decision. It's going to impact your next at bat. It's going to impact your next uh, side out. Whatever sport it is, whatever game it is, if you don't learn to live in the present, Leave the past behind you to learn from it, move on from it, and live in that next feeling. Um, I, I think that's how you learn to lose. You learn to deal with failure. And, it, and it, I, those kids, it doesn't matter if they lose a game, lose a championship, they're back the next season. You think LeBron James cares that uh, he's lost how many championships he's been to in a row now, and yet he keeps coming back? He's that great. If he let that if he let that uh, consume him, he wouldn't get back. He, he learns from it, does the best he can, and then tries another tries to go again. So um, pivoting a little bit, so you mentioned a couple times the um, Academy of Sports and Character. Can you tell us a little bit more about the the Academy and the mission and, and kind of your role within it? Well, the Academy exists to help coaches. We want to be a resource for coaches. To, uh, of all ages, from elementary school, we even work uh, with uh, you know Strata and some of our executive leadership. We deal with coaches that are in NBA and, and uh, beyond. Um, coaches who want to do things, not just I say the right way, but to do things um, with, at a little higher level. To uh, they see their position more than just wins and losses. But as as changing lives, as molding lives, as being um, that whether it's a uh, father figure to those kids who are small, who uh, who need a great example, and they don't need somebody else yelling at them, um, or whether it's um, you know the kid, the guys who volunteer to coach in the police athletic league who've never coached before and want to do it the right way. Um, or, the, or the guys who are in high school who are getting paid to coach and they're dealing with problem kids and, and issues all the time. And we try to give them resources, uh, programs that help them uh, reward the positive things that happen and how to deal with the negative, how to teach uh, these character qualities as they go through their season um, and how to deal with winning and losing. Um, we, we try to be a resource for that. That's great. Now, there's a couple things I'm curious about, and we almost started off with this discussion a little bit about training. Could you tell us a little bit about the training of young athletes? Clearly, they do a lot in their sport, but are young athletes starting to cross-train a lot more? I read an interesting article in the New York Times about very young powerlifters and how young kids are getting into powerlifting or very uh, Olympic lifts or very sort of athletic explosive lifts, things like that. Are young athletes really starting to do that to enhance their sports? Is that a good thing? Is it? Do you feel that it's safe? Well, first of all, I 100% believe in, in cross-training. Okay. Um, I think kids specialize way too soon. Um, I, I see, see so many kids that, that or their parents think, well, you're 10, you've got to decide the sport you're going to play the rest of your life, you know, and, and, uh, they just let them play that one sport. And, and if you look at the statistics of, uh, even college athletes, they all played the best college athletes played several sports, um, in high school and especially as they were younger. And so I don't believe that they need to specialize so soon. The power lifting, I have heard 
heard about some of that and have read some studies on that. And um, I, I think lifting weights is great. I would uh, defer to those, those doctors that know the age appropriateness of that. Um, I've always kind of erred on the side of uh, I'd rather wait till you're uh, starting to hit puberty and your bones are stronger before you can do all that. I, you know, I, I think about you know 13 years old would probably be a good time, but that's my opinion um, based on my own reading and my own <laughs> my own life. I there are people who know a lot better than I do. Um, I just wouldn't put my own kids in powerlifting um, at a young age. But uh, I think lifting weights is great as they get a little older into their teenage years. I think it's a wonderful way to train. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, with that. I definitely agree. I'm curious about the. Is there any sort of nutrition protocol for these young athletes? Do you advise it? What do the parents think? Like, how does how does that look? And do you see a difference in when someone has better nutrition in their performance? <laughs> there is uh, no doubt that that is one of the greatest uh, um, things that has happened over the last, I'd say, even 10 years. Um, I remember I grew up the son of a doctor, and even though he was a medical doctor, we had a Coke fountain in our house. I could push a button and have Coke all day long, <laughs> and and we didn't think anything about that. Um, however, um, you know, as we have, as, as things, and we've learned about, even, I remember people smoked on planes when I was growing up, so... Um, we've learned a lot about what's, what's healthy and what's not. And just for a great example, um, the kids who have the proper nutrition, the proper rest, the parents who believe in that, you do see a great, um, a, a real impact on their recovery time, on their ability to, to, uh, to play well. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, players and students who don't have access to great nutrition, and they may be great athletes, but they struggle. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen that over and over. And a lot of that is not their fault. But um, and I think that goes back to the parents and, um, and even the economy sometimes. But um, I, I've seen a huge impact on what um, on nutrition has to do, not only with you know, older athletes, but with, uh, with kids in, in sports. So I'm wondering something. Over the last uh, 20 years or so, or maybe even even longer, um, has there been a difference, has it changed with the level of participation for young female athletes? And are they training now differently than they used to? How has, how has that aspect of youth sports come along? Well, just like in every facet of our, our culture, there are many more opportunities for uh, – girls to play all kinds of sports. Um, when I was even growing up, I mean, you're talking 40 years ago, I mean, girls had like two sports and they, that was their choices. Um, and, and now there are so many more opportunities and so many more ways to train. And once again, the last 20 years, last 10 years, last five years, those things floating, uh, somebody you'd probably uh, love to talk to is uh, Dr. Jen Welter, who is the first NFL coach as a, as a, a woman. Um, and she's just uh, has an amazing platform, what she's doing for uh, female athletics and um, just for, for, for people. She's a, an amazing person. I just think the more opportunities we give and we allow everyone to play whatever sport they, 
they want and then give them the same opportunity um, from it doesn't matter race or economic or uh, or, or gender it's um, that, that shouldn't preclude someone from playing a sport um, being active doing the things that they want to do so you mentioned you're, you're working on a book when um, when is that going to be available are you are you still kind of in the process of writing it or is it you know being edited at this point like do you have kind of an idea of uh, when that book will be out I'm hoping that it will be uh, completely finished in the fall. I'm, I'm, my target is uh, December, but I mean, as far as release, it's uh, it's still got a couple more uh, things to go through. But it's uh, it's almost it's almost there. Nice. Well, Craig, thank you so much uh, for coming on the gym with, and of course, thank you for what you're doing. I think it's Im- immensely important especially in our world today, where so many kids are glued to their tablets or some sort of video game or whatever it is, the opportunity to play as a team, interact with other people, learn to work together are vital skills that might be missing or that our youth may not get the same way as generations past. So thank you for everything that you're doing. You are so welcome. I appreciate you guys and wish you all the best. To have your listeners check out sportsandcharacter.com if they okay. want any more information and uh, appreciate it. So sport, all right, so sportsandcharacter.com. Is there anywhere else we can find you? Is there any social media? We also have a Facebook, okay. the Academy of Sports and Character, and, um, and that's where we are. Awesome. Well, Craig, once again, thank you for coming on the Gym Wits. And, yeah, let's talk again. We'd, we'd, we'd love to hear uh, some stories and about you – know, future about some other developing athletes and yeah it's very cool i'd love to anytime and i've got lots of stories from uh ways kids have, have changed their lives and other people's and other things like that and we can do that in the future so i sure, appreciate we'll it have greatly to do a part two at some point yeah. <laughs> right, greg well thank you so much and have a great day you too so bringing it back a little bit ryan as long as i can remember hated losing Never liked losing, right? So much to the point where even in um, our little uh, fake wrestling league, (laughs) when we were in junior high school, he would cheat, not even when he was involved in the match, because he would consider it a loss if whoever his, you know, little, his, uh, his, um, you know, uh, wingman was would lose. He considered it a loss, so he refused to to let anyone win. So that's how much Ryan hates losing. Although I think it's changed a little bit. I, yeah, well, clearly I, I <laughs> have to. But um, yeah, I do. I do remember our fake wrestling league, and I remember being undefeated in our fake wrestling league league for a short period of time until <laughs> until the 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 fateful day where where um what's his name James remember I was attacked kind of fake attack by by like James and a few people and then there was and it was funny cuz we weren't talking I forget why but you were like I was mad at you or you were mad at me but then this guy James challenged me and then Justin was like I bet on Ryan and then all of a sudden we were best friends again because like Justin had my back against James but James beat me (laughs) that had yeah that happened many times that happened many times so um, yeah I thought that was definitely an interesting interview Um, I work with children a lot and I I think I understand the sort of uh, where Ryan and I are butting heads, and of course, I think Craig and I would side a little bit more. Ryan thinks that the whole coddling of 
athletes is not as as widespread as perhaps we make it out to be, but uh, let me put a different slant on it. That yes, I'm gonna agree with Ryan that in the competition world of competitive sports, youth sports, yes, it's, it's about who wins and as we see people will cheat, so it's, perhaps it's even taken too far. I think what, what Craig and I are referencing is not just uh, in youth sports, but in general. The, the, um, there's a sort of a sense of entitlement that children have, that parents have, and not just in sports, but I've seen it very much working with kids uh, and parents a lot of teachers in schools I've had this conversation with that people just don't want to lose in terms of whatever it is, whether it's a kid getting a part in the school play, um, uh, a solo in the orchestra, anything along those lines, or make not making the cheerleading team, stuff like that. And instead of saying too bad, that's just how it goes, school boards whatever it is, are saying, okay, we'll make accommodations, we'll sort of let it in, in order to not have to say, no, we're not going to do this, it's too bad, that's how it goes. We're seeing a lot of concessions being made in order not to hurt, you know, not to, well, we even put in quote, hurt kids' feelings. I actually dealt with this recently where I was, uh, there was a, a student that uh, actually was super talented, but was conduct was, was very poor, and the the discussion was to remove him from the situation and his parents were you know they're actually pretty cool but they kept on mentioning oh we don't want to hurt his feelings we don't want to hurt his feelings it's like this kid is uh as it was a i don't like to put this on a kid but he, he was a terror to work with for the other kids he was incredibly disruptive he made things very difficult on me as a teacher with other teachers and their concern is, I don't want to hurt his feelings, when instead of that, it could have been, well, this is a, could be a lesson for him, that if you're going to act a certain way, these are the repercussions. So I think that that's a lot more of what we're referring to, to not, just, uh, not just in youth sports. So I want to hear what, I'd like to hear what you think also about, about this, because I think it's so far been a three-pronged kind of discussion on, on this, this aspect, um, so I'd like to hear what you, hear, what you think, Tony. My only response to that is that's where it's tough to use personal anecdotes, because we, we live in, you know, you, you live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, thinking, you know, I yeah, work I'm thinking location in, is everything. Yeah, so like, you know, at the end of the day, um, we can all come up with anecdotes about parents and, and situations in which um, people expect something. And, and that happens all the time in all walks of life. And it's nothing new. It's not new that people just kind of have a sense of certain people have a sense of entitlement. So I think sometimes using the personal, personal anecdotes can be a little tricky because I've absolutely seen that. But I've also seen the other side where parents are like, well, it's too bad, you know, tough luck. Um, and I, I have definitely seen a correlation between, in my own experience, affluence and um, that sense of entitlement. But that's something you would expect. And so it's something that I want to be careful about kind of letting that color my, my thoughts. So my, my thing is how widespread are these ideas? And like, do are we, you know, yes, we're going to have a situation where like the, the court case um, that you were discussing, but you know, how widespread is that? Is this really an epidemic? It's kind of like the whole, um, you know, the whole debate now with uh, when it comes to 
like um, you know the PC being PC on college campuses and all that. It's like how much of it is really that there's this liberal terror on college campuses and people can't say anything, and how much of it is like there are some outliers, and if you project those and blow that up, it makes for a great story. And so I think in a lot of these cases, um, it's it's you'll take one or two anecdotes and blow it up to be you know something big, and yet yeah, sounds really bad. And if you you know we're a huge country with you know 300 million people so yeah we're gonna we can find dozens of uh, you know hundreds of these examples but does it really you know is it really an expression of of the way that things are so i think that's my thing because i agree that you know kids should can learn from losing so it's just a question of like we hear this a lot now like you know these kids they're so entitled and blah 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 so i just i want to know you know, I'm. I just want to know what are the real numbers, and yeah, I'd love to know yeah. what you think and well, what you've no, experienced. I, to be, I well, I grew up um, in a very, like, um, how do I put this? Most people were in the upper class of where I grew up in Long Island, and that's all I saw was coddling. Like, <laughs> that's it. That's all I saw. Do I think you're teaching your kid anything? No, but I can't really speak to other areas, and that's. I think you're right. I think it's. I don't know if it's like that in other states or other areas. Well, and we obviously have these skewed New York eyes. Yeah, uh, exactly. That too. New York yeah. is, a, is in itself is different <laughs> than like most of the world. Absolutely. And uh, per, my personal opinion is that it's not just kids. That it's adults too. That this sense of entitlement that oh, I should go first. Like Ryan, you mentioned the story which I ne- will never forget about the the guy walking into Chipotle. Basically, wanting to return a burrito that wasn't made exactly to his no, no, specs, it it was, it was, and it wasn't even made at that Chipotle. <laughs> yeah. And he's holding up the line, yeah. arguing, oh, yelling at the food service people, which is one of my pet peeves. Yeah. It's just incredibly entitled, feeling that he should get whatever he wants. And you yeah. just see this yeah. um, all the time. Granted, we're in New York, maybe it happens more in, in big cities, but I know that that's sort of my view is that just people are getting more and more entitled. But who knows? That just might be my my vision on it. Yeah. Again, it's 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 tough to say. I think again, we always are going to encounter entitled people. So and and again, the more affluent you are, the more entitled you're going to be. We're in, I'm entitled. Like when I, you know, I, I'm I'm going to interrupt you. I don't know if that's true. That's your. I know that's well, your sort of view, and it would seem to be correct. But I think that people in general are entitled. Uh, that you would think that people that are not as high on the economic spectrum would be less entitled and perhaps it's true but maybe it's not there i've seen <laughs> there I'll, I'll use this as an example once again it's anecdotes so i'm not uh, any proof you see people that are that are almost begging on the streets entitled right they you know if you give them money they'll ask for more they won't they yes. don't want food they, they do don't want right? food they'll keep asking <laughs> they they'll want ask your for money more, right they want more, right so you even see this right that's a sense of entitlement yeah. sure, that they don't that right they they you they should be given something so i think it happens it's widespread i think there's a, a diff, i think we're looking at we're, we're looking at different think, aspects yeah. of the word entitled yep. uh, yeah now the the person that you know, if somebody's truly kind of in a position of need, they're not going to 
turn down the food or the money. You, yes, we all have, if you're in New York, you all have that experience of giving or somebody you know giving money to a homeless person or giving food to a homeless person that says they're hungry and it's like, no, I don't want this, just give me money. Well, that's a different issue. They're, they're, clearly, they're, there's something beyond just them being homeless and needing money or needing something. Um, and there's something else there. But obviously, they're, you know, they're not entitled in the way that, that you, or, you or I or somebody we know might be entitled. And I think, you know, again, I, I just question whether or not it's it's more widespread than than it, it has ever, you know, than it has ever been, and maybe it is. Maybe well, you know, social media has plays a role in it too. I don't know, but I just don't think it's as I don't think it's this epidemic that has played out to be. It's no to me, it's no more or less of a problem than it's ever been. Uh, I mean, if you think about just the way parenting has become a lot more hands off, yes. and the okay. kids get to talk back now i mean there's like a lot of like i just feel like then obviously then it's going to translate into the sports well i do think okay so i I think that as things are more you know it's interesting because like our our parents in general i don't know that's something we need to know like our parents in more in general more hands-on as far as like i want to see everything you're doing do parents tend to blame um teachers more possibly you know i i can definitely see i see a world where um Especially in situations where you, where you have more, I can see a world where that where that's the case that maybe parents are a little bit, you know, they're they coddle their kids and maybe that does happen now. Um, I guess we strayed a bit from our initial thing. To me, it was more coddling and um, the the value, you know, the, how much or how widespread is the kind of anti competitiveness? Because I think then there's a whole different story about do we coddle kids too much? And I think that that there is you know certainly can be a case made for, for that. Because I you know, but again. You know, I don't know how overblown it is or how, you know, are millennials that bad? You know, I've read, you know, you, again, I'm sorry, I'm ranting now. But you all this stuff about how horrible millennials are. But then it's like, I don't know, the millennials, millennials have been kind of served a crappy, a crappy, um, you know, deck of cards or hand of cards like uh, from their predecessors. So, you know, you question like, is it? I'm a millennial. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no, that's the thing. So it's like you're, you know, we're, we're just past it, I guess. Ryan and I are, are called zennials. Yeah, I don't know. We're like we're not quite millennials. That's, we're not Gen X. All oh, right on the cusp <laughs> between Gen X because we're not Gen X and we're not really millennials. Although we sort we could more fit into that than we fit into Gen X. But we're, Ryan and I are exactly the year. It's like two or three years called zennials. I'm happy to be a zennial. <laughs> all right. Well. I guess that's it. Um, so uh, some housekeeping because we didn't get to it in the beginning. Uh, we're an Alexa, um, not an Alexa app. We are an Alexa skill. So if you have an Amazon Echo, you can ask Alexa to uh, enable the gym wits and you can listen to us on your Amazon Echo. Um, if you haven't done it yet, go and uh, fill out the survey, survey.lipson.com and help us um, get some make some money uh, off this podcast. Uh, it helps us, you know, again, the, the numbers and demographic stuff will help us um, with potentially getting some sponsorships and help us uh, provide some more content and get some cool guests and, and all that good stuff. And otherwise, all of our other stuff is at thegymwits.com, our social media. Um, leave a review if you haven't on iTunes. All that stuff really helps. The engagement really helps. Um, you know, we, we've, we're getting great engagement and the more, the better. And again, the more, the more um, we can get from you, which is very small um the 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 more we can you know put some stuff out there and get some cool people and get some good projects going so um that's it uh, as usual i'm ryan george i'm justin guild aka chef sonic reminding you that truth does not sell and i'm tony marinucci your registered dietitian helping you get healthy one bite at a time and we are the gym wits.